Hello, and welcome back to Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you. I'm Adam, an English teacher who went to China in 2014 and taught English in a small city near Shanghai. This podcast tells the story of my troubled first year, so if you're new to the show, I'd encourage you to start at the beginning. That said, alongside the main story, many episodes focus much more on other issues about Chinese history and culture, and you don't really need to be following the story to listen to that part. Okay, on with the show. First things first, let's look a little deeper into the nuts and bolts of the ESL, or English as a second language, teacher situation. This can be a daunting thing to undertake, going to a country which you don't know and can't speak the language, and it was for me. Like all the others I taught with during this particular year or so I suspected, coming here was as much of a push as a pull. Not that I was banished or anything. But the second decade of the 21st century didn't seem to be one made for a shy, quiet young man with mediocre qualifications in the humanities. I'd never grown up wishing to be a teacher. In fact, if you'd told me that one day I'd be teaching 28 kids English with all the larking around and enforcing discipline that that entails, then I would have rudely laughed in your face. Rather, it came as a kind of last resort. But as last resorts go, teaching English in China is by no means bad plunges you into a fascinating culture with an extremely long and complex history, 5,000 years, as they say boastfully, in what has now become one of the most dramatic places in the world. China's growth has meant that demand for English has steadily grown, and while the supply of ESL teachers has grown too, you can still make reasonable cash, and in the seven years since I was there, income opportunities have only gotten better, and I know that because I eventually began recruiting English teachers to go to China. And now, since the pandemic, they go for a pretty penny indeed. Salaries across the vast Chinese territory vary quite a bit. Back when I was there, in this county-level city, Changshu, I got paid the equivalent of about £1,300 a month. And that's not much by UK standards, and it's less than in China's bigger cities, and on retrospect, I was almost certainly being underpaid. But still, after £50 tax, it's all money in the bank. The apartment is free, the internet is free, energy is free, water is free, and the food is free. The school refunds my plane tickets up to £500. There's a travel stipend of £80, but travel is so cheap you'd have to journey to Tibet and back every month to get your money's worth. A bus to Suzhou, which takes one hour, costs £1.60, and the bus into the city is ten pence. Meals at Western restaurants are the only place my money goes, and that's a rarity. The job is open to anyone who is a native English speaker, has a university degree in something, and a teaching English as a foreign language certificate, TEFL. The native English speaker list is generally seen as the seven countries of the USA, the UK, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Ireland, and South Africa. At this point, prejudice enters the equation. South Africa is the least valuable passport of the seven, and other decidedly non-white countries which also have English as a native language, like Jamaica or Zimbabwe, are often excluded in practice, if not in law. Non-white teachers from countries like the UK or USA sometimes find themselves on lower incomes than their white counterparts. English teachers who work illegally, often shuttled in from places like the Philippines or Pakistan on visas for other jobs, are paid badly and hung out to dry if they get caught, sometimes finding themselves imprisoned before being deported. 
Along with much else in China, these rules are being enforced more and more tightly. Financially, China comes out pretty favourably when compared to ESL opportunities around the world. With the chance to save upwards of £1,000 a month with free accommodation and a paid return flight. Although, you have to bear in mind the startup costs. They'll reimburse your flight, but not pay it up front. You'll also have to invest in a TEFL course and get that certificate. Mine was done online, but the more respectable ones come from Cambridge University's CELTA assessment. In terms of saving, Korea comes out uh, about the same. Only in the Middle East can you get more. China has its educational peculiarities, which takes some getting used to, and there's the freedom issue. But on a day-to-day basis, this is all academic. Life in China is safe and comfortable. Just don't do drugs. I cannot say that enough. Don't do drugs. Setting up a bank account is fairly easy, but once my first paycheck came through in cash, I became rather attached to the huge wad that was building up in my apartment. So I rejected the bank account and stuck with the cash. Before long, I was enjoying such piles of banknotes, each one showing Chairman Mao's serene face, that I considered making a pile which I could jump into. Biggest denomination is the 100 RMB bill in pale red. It was worth about £10 at the time, and caused glares from the woman who works in the convenience store. She simply wouldn't accept that I didn't have smaller bills until I showed her the contents of my wallet. Don't scorn the chairman, I wanted to say. Since I first went to China, WeChat has become more and more central to everyday life. With WeChat, you don't just chat with your friends and colleagues as you might with WhatsApp, but you also pay for things, transfer money, order tickets, follow news and celebrities, find apartments to rent, get spammed for cosmetics, and connect to so-called mini-programs, which open up a whole host of other services, like renting bikes and stuff. You also give an epic amount of data to the Chinese government, which is a bonus from their perspective. Anyway, back to the school. My working hours added up to about 20 per week. The work can be demanding, but not when compared to teaching in the UK. I also got offered bonus lessons, 40 minutes each for oral English. I did four a week and got an extra tenner for each one. Abe, the young Chinese gent, came to tell me about it. He seemed rushed. It was a Monday morning and he was ready to take me to this oral English class. But, just like on my first day at the school, he hadn't really thought about giving me books or any briefing about what should be taught. I felt pretty insecure without books, like a soldier without a rifle. Abe told me that I could just do whatever I want, and uh, when I asked for a suggestion, he just kind of said, they're all girls, so maybe you can teach them to be elegant. I was at once troubled and honoured that Abe thought I could teach anyone how to be elegant. As we walked the hallway, I found myself perplexed at this idea of an all-girl class in a mixed school. It turned out that this was art class, a programme chosen by parents that emphasises dancing, singing, tea culture, and other arty things. Still, the staples such as Chinese, mathematics, and English make an appearance. That's where I come in. After some consideration, I decided against teaching the girls how to pirouette, and to stick with what I knew, which was... English? Yeah. Well, hopefully English would see me through. The atmosphere in art class was different to my other two classes, which had majorities of boys, reason being that in China, more investment is given to boys' education, and international classes are the most expensive. Although I think this habit is changing, especially in the larger cities, where I taught teens and adults later in Shanghai, 
and there were more females than males. Anyway, the art class behaved immaculately, attentively hanging on my every word. I was thankful that they were so well behaved because I would have been completely incapable of shouting angrily or even commandingly at them, such was the level of cuteness in the room. The only trouble I had was with their names. Stacy, Summer, Sue, Sophie, Susie, Cece, Cindy, Sandy, Candy, Cherry, Zoe, Chloe, Amy, Betty, Molly, Maggie, Nina, Dora, Alina, Angela, Angel, Vivian, Nivia, Helen, and Sheen. Nothing is more tragic to a youngster than admitting to them that you've forgotten their name. But what goes around comes around. For the whole year, Alina called me Adun. In my regular class, I was getting into the swing of things. It emerged that the school did have a curriculum of sorts, or a whole bunch of books photocopied from American textbooks. These weren't ESL books, but they worked fine. For two weeks I slowly worked through the books until a Singaporean teacher from the sister school in Suzhou stopped by to give me some more direct guidance. I altered the schedule accordingly, and things settled down nicely. I was also getting to know the children and their peculiar and intriguing characters. Sometimes charming, sometimes perplexing, kids work things out by trial and error, with hardly an inkling that they even exist. For example, when I asked the kids to draw some object, any object, in the classroom, the little Picassos took their young eyes and unsteady hands to the pencil cases and plant life of the surrounding area. Bucking the trend, though, little Ray drew a bit of sellotape he spotted on the wall. Now, that's a free thinker. And whenever I asked a question in class... Eric would go, Eric! And I'd point to him, and his movements would become sluggish and drawn out. He'd coolly rise from his chair with a kind of smug smile, and finally put his finger to his lips in thought. Eric, I'd say. I don't know, he'd finally reply, and sit down. Instead of putting his hands up, Tom would perform a kind of lightning-speed karate chop with both hands, while simultaneously shouting, Let me try! Leo, who never listened to a word I said, would furrow his brow whenever he looked at me as if to say, Are you really going to make me do that? Jason would refuse to show me his work until I tickled him. Whenever I picked on Paul, he'd look up at me with his lower jaw hanging, and I'm sure that, if he could speak English, he would have said, Who are you? Every day, time and time again, Lucy would approach me with something and say, Adam, this. Yes, it's a tissue, I'd reply. Adam, this. Yes, it's a ruler. Emma sulked whenever she got something wrong. Maggie cried for the first two weeks. She was the one with the two-howl mum, the one who wore a tiara. John would cry because of the unfortunate breakup of his parents, something which I related to. And I also related to Max, who, while being markedly more intelligent than me, seemed to share a certain awkwardness that I possessed. I'm sure that he was merely acting as a child to fit in, but just a twinkle of self-awareness would remain, stunting his movements. Henry wrote his name Herney. The other Jason would slouch like nothing I've ever seen. I'd look over in his direction to see an empty spot where his head should be, only to find it thirty centimetres southwards, struggling to see over the desk. The rule to combat this was, sit like a tree. Alice would say, may I peace Chinese, instead of, may I speak Chinese. We had three Tonys. Tony one, Lightning quick, naughty but caring. Tony 2, lost in the clouds, smiles but doesn't know the answer. And Tony 3, quietly genius. I never found out why Tony was such a popular name. When we were playing Stuck in the Mud, May ran past like a bullet. 
freeing me from my stuck position. Her face suggested that she'd never encountered such a monumentally important task in her life. And something shared by them all was an unfailing love for all food. Very few fussy eaters. Through all these quirks, I found myself amazed at just how lucky, be it sheltered, these little guys' lives were. Apart from a telling off for spilling their crayons, they never had to spend a single moment in discomfort. You never quite know if the reality of teaching ESL is going to be the same as what's indicated during the interview, and I quietly held a grudge because I'd been misled about the working hours. Contradicting promises made when I took the job, I had to work in the afternoons. I know what you're thinking. It's a job. Of course you had to work afternoons. But that's what they had told me. And wouldn't you be disappointed if a perk like that turned out to be too good to be true? Well... I made the calculated decision not to mention it because my Wednesdays were finished by 10.40 in the morning. So Wednesday was pretty much a whole day off. However, Kelly had been promised the same thing and she was less inclined to go along with it. She'd taken the issue right to Jane, the vice president, and demanded significant scheduled changes to free up her afternoons or else. I was jealous of the success she had, but I stayed quiet mentioning only to Mark that things were not quite how the interviewer had laid them out to be. He agreed, but he said it doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Morning, evening, it's all the same. Kids with shit-poor English refusing to be quiet. But Mark had changed his mind by the time that the next meeting came around and decided to bring up Kelly's apparent preferential treatment. Mark was asked to talk to the management in private about the issue. Then it was announced that a small change was going to be made to our working hours. On Tuesday and Wednesday lunchtimes, we were to do half an hour of reading time with the kids. Was this okay with everyone? Eddie protested that, while they call it reading time, it's actually babysitting time for when the Chinese teachers have a meeting. And as far as he was concerned, that added a whole new level of responsibility, because we'd be alone with the kids, and when there's no Chinese teacher around, mayhem quickly ensues. Like, you know how students act when a supply teacher rocks up into class? Easy meat. To me, reading time seemed like a pretty good idea. Currently we didn't have any one-on-one time with the children to see their individual progress, and I was sure that some were slipping behind. That said, Wednesday was my good day, my mostly free day. I was finished by 10.40am. 10.40? It was awesome. Lunchtime reading changed everything. Stupidly, Without even giving myself permission, I started talking, saying something about how uh, Wednesday isn't the best day for me because I uh, I finish earlier and uh, I became aware that my reasoning was flawed and was making it sound like I just simply didn't want to work much. And I have a kind of bit of a break then, I said hopefully. For class preparation, I added pathetically. As Jane nodded in understanding, or something approximating understanding. Tragically, Eddie backed me up, saying that it's a long week and we're getting up early, teaching all day. If Adam has this downtime to refresh himself, maybe do a little prep, then it's an important time for him. I think these things need to be considered before throwing more hours at us. We all need a break. This wasn't really what I had in mind. 
I was well aware that compared to the Chinese staff, our whole week seemed like a break. Sat there awkwardly while Eddie wove a sob story for me. A plea for common human decency in the face of the adversity through which I struggled. He went on and on. Anyway, they offered Tuesday and Thursday instead, leaving my Wednesday untouched. That's a win. Then Kelly spoke up in defence of good food. Food is good, she said, but not here. Every day she struggles through the school's canteen food, one sickly piece of rice after the other, wanting to buff it back up with every bite. She was investing in cooking equipment, she said, and would like it if her food shopping could be subsidised. Jane responded that the school might be able to provide a weekly bus to the supermarket, to which Kelly said under her breath, That's not what I asked. After the meeting, Jane caught me in the hallway. We walked together back to the classrooms. Are you missing your family? She asked casually. Sure, of course, sometimes. And you have a wife? She said. No, no. Do you have a husband? Of course, she said in a tone which suggested this conversation was to be of the one-way variety. There are many women here, she went on. Single women. Very versatile. Versatile? You can ask me if you want some advice or help, okay? She said. Sure, I said, with a hint of embarrassment. The question arose again at dinner. I'd been invited out with the grade one department. Kelly, who's also in our department, apparently wasn't invited. So, as the only foreign English teacher, I felt quite special. There were 16 of us around the table, with the grade one leader, a plump Chinese man, obviously orchestrating proceedings. He ordered on behalf of everyone and toasted me especially. I stopped short of giving a thank you speech myself, something which I'm sure would have been received with large-scale giggling. Thanked him personally instead. During the meal, photos were taken of the food, which was circling on a lazy Susan, and each other. A few of us drank baijiu, Chinese white wine which was, I cannot lie, not pleasant. We got up in turn to do rounds toasting each other, as is tradition. There was all sorts to eat, spicy fish head, dark grey juicy mushrooms, tofu, soup, spicy vegetables, cold beef and more. I sat between my co-teacher Yuan and Lily, the teacher in the all-girl art class. Yuan was speaking Chinese to Qian at an awesome pace. Something was obviously up. It emerged that a foreign teacher from Suzhou was messaging Yuan cheeky messages about her chasing him, which wasn't true, according to Yuan. Still, this bit of gossip was one of the central themes of the night's entertainment. On my other side, Lily and her teacher assistant Erica were chatting, also in Chinese. This time it was about me, much to my alarm. Apparently, my blue eyes had a dizzying effect on Erica, and she had to look away whenever I smiled. This was no great sadness to me. Lily added that I was the most handsome foreigner who worked at the school. And again, my marital status became a talking point. The saga continued the following day at lunch when Lily asked me if I had a girlfriend. I didn't, I said. So she asked if I would go on a date with a certain teacher I'd not met, and I said, okay. It was unlike any date I'd been on before, both of which had involved two people, including me. And this date had me, teacher Lily, assistant teacher Erica, Lily's son, and someone called Shirley, 
who it turned out was the one who'd asked me out. How you're supposed to get to know someone in these circumstances, I don't know. But this is the way it's done. Erica was doing the driving this evening. She had a brand new Honda, still with plastic wrapping on the headrests. Snuggled into the back between my date and Lily's eight-year-old son was a nervous teacher, Adam. We pulled out of the school front gate and as Erica programmed in City Mall into the satellite navigation system, Shin from the HR office saw me through the window. I felt a bit like a trapped hamster. A trapped hamster going on a date. The look in Shin's eyes suggested she knew exactly what was going on. Probably more so than I did. The roads near the school were typically empty. We went north, past the local university campus, past the parade of shops which Lee had taken me to for dinner on my first night here. We took a left, then a right, continuing north, always on large roads. Cars honked at other cars who ignored them and honked at something else. Erica cursed at bad drivers in Chinese. Turning off the highway, she got stuck in the middle of the road. Giving way is simply beyond the boundaries of conception here, so we were truly stuck. So cars honked and sped past, and we inched out into traffic until some poor Lexus was reluctantly forced to slow down to let us out. The meal was pleasant enough. There was cold meat, lotus flour, fish, spicy chicken in dark red sauce. I enjoyed a Qingdao beer, but sensed that this choice may have lost me some points. We talked mostly about our backgrounds, less so about the school, but I got the sense that the pay for the Chinese staff was low, and the hours were long and demanding. This was no great surprise. I sympathised and felt sorry that this difference between us might mean that we could never quite relate to each other. But in the end, my relationship with Shirley never bloomed anyway. Maybe it was the unusual circumstances, or the foreign teacher turned out to be more boring or more drunk than expected. But also, the timing of the date, just after Jane had asked me about whether I was married, well, it struck me as more than a coincidence. Could she have been pulling the strings? And if so, to what end? I came home to a number of emails, with the foreign teachers again on the offensive at the meeting. The Chinese management appeared concerned. Claire had ended the meeting by saying that the school hopes that we can all work together to resolve any issues, work-related or private, and that it would be preferred if future meetings can be constructive rather than opportunities to complain. Her email reiterated this point, and she added that we would all have to comply with a new rule, to be in class three minutes before the bell goes, to help kids with books and get set down at their desks. Will we be paid extra for this time added to our weekly contractual hours? was Mark's quick reply. But there was no response to that. I'm not sure how facetious Mark was being, but it was certainly weird for this new rule to be introduced now. Personally, I was already in my class three minutes, five minutes, and ten minutes before class. My desk was there. I assume this was the same for the others. On top of that, music plays to signal the beginning of class. When it goes off, kids rush to their desks. They're so well trained that the teacher never needs to say a word. The three-minute rule was so pointless so as to make you wonder what the real purpose of it was. It appeared that the school was testing us. At least, Eddie thought so. He sent a hastily drafted email around the foreign teachers, telling them that this three-minute rule was nothing less than a ploy to see how high we will jump for them. This management is new, he said, and they're trying to cement their authority. But their organisation is bad and they're making mistakes. Mistakes which are going to cost us time and money. Our best bet 
concluded Eddie, was to stick together and not let them walk all over us. Firstly, by refusing to agree to this cheap three-minute trick. Mark and Kelly replied, the rest of us didn't. Unity was evidently not going to be one of our defining features. The next time on Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you, tensions in the school finally spill over. <laughs>